Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that got a bump on its head a couple of days ago and now believes it's the summer of 2016. So, Pep versus Jose, Mourinho versus Guardiola, what a managerial battle this is going to be playing out in the Premier League. Who's going to win? No spoilers please. Today we're going to be discussing the Champions League draw as well as a player in Raheem Sterling who was so recently an automatic starter but now it feels like maybe he has a point to prove. Mostly though our focus will be on Goodson Park and an FA Cup quarter-final that has all the makings of an absolute belter. To make sense of all this I'm delighted to be joined by my regular Friday cohort Chris Wright along with a 93-20 debutant Andy Smith who will be looking at tomorrow's game from a Toffees perspective. Firstly, welcome aboard, Andy. You well, pal? Yeah, keeping well, thanks, Steve. How are you and Chris doing? Um, Yeah, not too bad, not too shabby. Looking forward to a good weekend's football. Um, Hopefully to your detriment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chris, you well? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Steve. Uh, and yeah, and welcome to Andy. I uh, I had the surprise. I had a surprising invitation this week to get my first uh, vaccination jab, which was really? much earlier than I th- yeah. So I had that on Monday. It, it it did knock me sideways for a couple of days. Actually, I did get a few symptoms as my immunity builds, but yeah, I'm fine now. So yeah, one more step into uh, into normality, hopefully. Well, excuse the personable question, but um, how old are you? I'm fifty. Right, so it's it's so it's just right, yeah. It 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 it, it is right on the edge, but in Manchester they're pushing things through quite quickly. But good, uh, Good. yeah. Ah, good to hear. Right, well, let's get straight into it, um, because in a couple of hours' time we have got the Champions League draw for the quarterfinals. Um, I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this pod will be now aware of who we've got, but at this stage, the three of us are, are somewhat in the dark. So, Andy, um. Who should City regard as their toughest possible draw and who should we hope to get? Yeah, I mean, looking at the teams that are left, I think, I mean, for me, I think the toughest draws will be either PSG or Chelsea. The reason why I say that is they will come with a plan specifically for City um, where they will try and frustrate you for long, long periods as opposed to bringing what is their own brand and style, which obviously a Liverpool or a, a, a Bayern Munich would do. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think they would be the ones that would make it difficult for you to, uh, more difficult than the other teams to get through. But, from what I've seen this season, I think City are the strongest team in Europe at the moment. So I'd be optimistic, whoever you got, if I was a City fan right now. Well, you said off air um, that maybe City should be kind of semi-hopeful for, for Bayern. Yeah, by I, that live? <laughs> yeah, I do. I just, I think if you were to play Bayern Munich in uh, a one-legged final... I think, you know, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich will come and go toe-to-toe with City. And I think over 90 minutes, they'd have a, a much better chance of going toe-to-toe and coming out the other end. I think over two legs, I think the defensive vulnerability that Bayern have shown this season, I mm. don't think that they would be able to match City over two legs. So I would, I personally, if I was a City fan, whilst they are the best team I think, other than City left in the competition, I think you'd have a much better chance of beating them over two legs, and I think you would do. I think you'd actually 
come out comfortably over two legs. Whereas I think in a one final shootout, particularly with Bayern's experience of major finals, um, and it would be City's first Champions League final where they to get there. Yeah. I'd want to get them even now in the semis and get them beat and move on. Uh, Chris, do you feel the same way? A um, little less optimistic about Bayern than Andy is. There's, there's a curious narrative to this draw in this season in that, you know, Juventus and Barca have gone out. So, you know, two of the big hitters are not there. And there's quite a few teams at, at this stage that seem to be going through a, a change, you know, or sort of a transition. So, you know, Madrid are not the giants that they used to be. PSG, they're aiming for a second successive final. So there's, there's something about they're asserting their, their European credentials. I think Porto are definitely punching above their weight. Uh, but, but for City, we, we, we now have that defensive solidity and consistency which you need for the knockout stage which you've never really had so thinking about this question I've sort of looked at sort of three tiers of threat from the from from different the teams so the teams that the teams that I'd like to avoid at all costs are Bayern Dortmund and PSG and then the what the two teams that I'd ideally like to avoid are Chelsea and Porto and then the two teams that I don't really have much concern about is Liverpool and Real Madrid. Oh, that really worries cool. me, mate, because I, I'm no. seeing this a lot on Twitter, City fans saying, you know what, I wouldn't mind Liverpool. It, it worries me. I, I, I think that, I mean, we talked about this before, is that, you know, Liverpool's Liverpool in the last few years have, have, a, have a great record in, in the Champions League to two finals. But at the moment, they're they're still not for me. Not they're not showing anywhere near the kind of form that got them to those two finals in the past. And and I do think the big difference would be, is if we went into a two-legged affair with Liverpool, at the moment, City would not have that inferior inferiority complex which they yeah. which they've experienced for the past few seasons. So yeah, Liverpool wouldn't worry me. Real Madrid categorically wouldn't worry me. Chelsea definitely would, and and they're really starting to show. They're just showing a form and a consistency and a methodology, which is difficult to break down. And Porto are just masters of shithousery that over two, yes. that over two legs they could they, they they could just punch you on the nose and put you out. So yeah, yeah I, I, I'd I'd rather I'd rather avoid buying a Dortmund or PSG. But to be the best, you've got to beat the best. So bring it on, whoever. Well, you mentioned there Liverpool's really good record in Europe. The thing what gets me about that, it always surprised me, is that they never mention it. We never hear about it. We just, <laughs> it's like they keep it to themselves. And um, Andy, is there something to be said? And I can't really explain why I feel this way, but I just always want to avoid, you know, Premier League opposition in the Champions League. I mean, each team offers a, a whole variety of threats. Each team are individual in their own kind of strengths and flaws. Yet for me, the ones to avoid are Chelsea and Liverpool. Kind of, do you get that? Do you feel the kind of same way? Is it regards to just avoiding teams from your own league at this point? Uh, I, I wouldn't really know about that to be honest, mate. <laughs> in the, um, but uh, but no, I, I think it's more to do when the crowds are there. Like yeah, you yeah, feel absolutely. as if, like you know, Man City, Liverpool, quarterfinal Champions League. Um, I mean, one thing that they very rarely mention again, uh, the other side of Stanley Park is obviously their European night crowds. Yes. But to be fair, at least that one is actually a, a true statement, unlike yeah. the Bolton Beresi. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I do get your, your sense, but I think with it being behind closed doors, I think that that fact that you have another years of two PL sides going at it later on in the competition. 
I don't think it will be that 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 same daunting um, prospect as it would be, you know, if there was full houses at the Etihad and Anfield. Yeah, I think I, I think the difference is though, if if someone asked me which Premier League side would you have any anxiety about facing at the moment in City's current form, and there's only one, and it's Chelsea, and the yeah. reason is yeah. is because. We last played Chelsea right at the very end of Lampard's time there, um, and we uh, and we beat them, you know, successfully in in January. Since that period, they've been on an incredible run of form, and to us, they are a bit of an unknown entity. Whereas the, all the other teams that that are in the that are left in the Champions League, I'm pretty familiar with and what their form is like. Mm. So yeah. It, uh, in terms of getting Premier League opposition, you know, it's always a bit of a, a, an anomaly when you play a, a team from the, from the same league in Europe. But Chelsea are the ones that, that, that do worry me because we haven't played them yet in their current form. Well, yeah, we've conceded twice in 12 games, which is yeah. just unbelievable. Um, well, OK, well, like I say, um, those listening in now will probably be aware of who we've got. Um, yeah, let's just hope it's a favourable draw. Because I've got the feeling that we're going to reach a final this year. I've just, I'm going to put it out there. Um, let's move on to Raheem Sterling. Um, his omission in recent games has led to a discussion about what is City's strongest 11. Um, Chris, does Raheem get into your best side? Um, right. What I, before answering that, what I want to ask is, do we actually have a strongest eleven? <laughs> well, that's and, a question and, and, itself. Yeah. You know, and do, do we actually have one? And more importantly, do we actually need one? So, are our Pep selections not subjective according to, to who who we're mm. playing? And also, that you look at the role, the roles of the players in our team are so interchangeable. So, if you looked, if you watched our, our performance against Gladbach on Tuesday. Effectively, we were like a, a this fluid four-two-four, right? And the and the movement was 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 breathtaking. Every time we were not in possession and we pressed, every single City player when they pressed, the first thing they did before they pressed was look over the shoulder to see where the rest of the team was. So their sense of position, their the positional sense, and that intelligence is really is really powerful at the minute. But there is there's something interesting as well because. In that fluidity, despite all the plaudits we received for the game against Gladbach, I still think that that, so, that we are still vulnerable on the break. So when we're playing that four-two-four, if we lose possession, there's that instant moment. If we don't get back quick enough, we, we are vulnerable to that quick counter. The thing about Sterling, and I, I would group him in, in in the same brackets as Mares, and I think they are this kind of anomaly in the team at the minute, because they're the only two that really, and they're Torres sometimes, but they're the only two really who actually try to take players on, yeah. on a one-to-one basis and get into the box. Now, Pep must instruct them to do this. He must do, because, you know, particularly Mars is constantly in the team, but that's why they can be quite frustrating as well. So the question I would ask is that rather than, you know, does he get that strongest 11? It's like, what does Sterling bring that no other player does in the team, which then always would suggest he has to be selected. I think he understands the system as well as anyone in that team. So if I was pushed to 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 include to, to say what my strongest eleven was, Sterling would be in there, but he'd be in there at the minute as a front three of Foden and KDB and Sterling with Rodri, Gundo, and Silva as a midfield three. Right. Be, 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 just in terms of getting that into. Changeability, yeah. but I'd play. I would play him on the right hand side. 
So, Mahrez not in your strong. I know, I appreciate what you said at the top about whether we actually have a strongest 11. But right now, if you were picking a side for this weekend, Mahrez wouldn't get in. Okay. Now, no, no, <laughs> but, but, but no, no, but to answer, to, but, but then to answer my own question that I asked, it's subjective to who we're playing. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, now I suspect that Everton may begin with a low block, in which case I would put Mahrez in. Because of all the players, he he can un, he can unpick that lock when a ple- when when a team pl- pl- plays low. Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily then have Sterling. So again, it it, it it does it does it does change according to who we're playing. However, as a sort of you know objective, this this is who I think our strongest eleven is at the moment. Who could take anybody on? It's that one that I mentioned with with Foden, KDB, and Sterling uh, as a front three. Okay, uh, Andy, if when a team Team lineups come out on Saturday. Um, of City's attackers, who would you be most pleased to to not see in, in that that start eleven? Um, it's a it's a very tricky question because uh, if I was to pick who's probably who I rate the least, it would be Jesus, who's got a phenomenal record against Everton. So, um, so you, that that's tricky. And then obviously we've got. Um, Sergio Aguero, who's obviously not been particularly fitting in the team this year, but he's one of the greatest strikers the Premier League's ever seen. Um, so if those two was either of those two were to be given a run, you would probably say that's a good thing for Everton, which yeah. just shows how strong City are when you've got those two players being a downgrade on what you've got. Um, it's difficult to say what your best front three would be because... So many of them can play in different positions as well. It's what's your front three six because Silver can play further forward, Foden can play deeper. Um, so yeah, you've got so many really good options. Yeah. Um, talking about what you were just saying there about Raheem Sterling, we we managed to keep him very quiet when he came to Goodison um, a, a few weeks ago uh, when we got beat three one. But I would still suggest he offers something very unique to the way City play in terms of when you do want to have like pacing behind and he's very good at breaking the lines and linking up the play. I, I would say he does get into your strongest strongest eleven. Yeah, I mean you say he's quiet at Goodison, that's a thing. He's been quiet pretty much across the board this season for the most part. I mean, but then his stats kind of contrast with that. Nine goals, six assists in twenty five league appearances. He's not going to get anywhere near to last season's goal scoring tally, but he's already made more assists in the league than the whole of last season. Um, I don't know. For me personally, he's one of those players who you really noticed when he wasn't there last season and the season before. Now, when he's not there, we we don't really notice that. You know, we're still a strong kind of unit. So, well, the fact that he does tend to be running down blind alleys like like he did when he first joined us, and he's kind of keeps on cutting inside to little effect. Um, I wouldn't put him in my starting, my strongest eleven right now, but I do agree with Chris really as regards to do we have a strongest 11 or is it subjective to who we're playing so um, either way I believe he'll be starting on Saturday which brings us indeed to this Saturday's game um, Chris how do you expect City to line up any selection surprises I have no I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> because because I, I swear it's a game that Pep plays with the fans you know it's to try to try and anticipate his selections because the lineup against Fulham was ridiculous yes. in, in terms of what we'd previously it expected. Yeah. 
I, w- I would really want him to go strong because after this, we haven't got another game for a fortnight. Obviously, we've got the international break, but City have not got another game for a fortnight. So I, so I would go strong and players that don't go to international duty can, can, can take a break. Just Andy referred to the previous game in February um, where he started with Sterling and Mahrez either side of, of Jesus, which did suggest to me that Pep was anticipating a low block. So because you had Sterling and, and Mahrez who could take players on one to one in the in in the in the box. But then to be fair, we had to wait until the final third of the game before we took the lead again, uh, and then finally k- 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 kill the tie off. So yeah, it's 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 a hard one because because also it's about anticipating how we think Everton will line up, but more importantly, what approach they will take to the game. Will they want to be quite progressive? Will they want to come toe to toe with us? Will will they want to exploit the size of the pitch at, at, at Goodison? But I guess my key emphasis would be: I think we should go strong while still giving, for example, Stefan an opportunity again in goal because because it it's a cup game maybe giving torres a little bit more uh, of a run out but th- but there's no reason when we're this close th- 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 there's no reason for us to not go strong as i say because then we've got a 14 day break in in domestic competitions are you expecting sergio to start on the bench um yeah oh, it's it's really hard you know because yeah. i'm so all this all this all this kind of you know hyperbole that was around this this uh, lip reading of a Spanish lip reader suggested that Sergio had said that, that, that they don't pass to me, mm. you know, on social media. And I think I'm always caught between my objectivity, but also my sentimentality. Sentimentally, I would like Sergio to, to, to start because, because I'd like him to, to, to get a couple of goals over the next few fixtures, start, start to build his confidence up to ensure that he is a genuine selection dilemma for, for Pep. But actually, I don't, you know what? I'd like to see him start, but I don't know if he will. I, I think there's more chance that Pep will go with the front three that he started with against Everton in February, which was Sterling, Mahrez, and Jesus. I'll go along with that. Um, Andy, from on this part, talking about you know City games every week. Basically, we're, we're we're guessing. We don't know. Pep, you know, kind of check rotates his team, kind of five six players every game, different setups. What's it like from an Everton perspective? Is it more kind of Settled? Is it? Is it more kind of easier to predict Everton's lineup this weekend for yourself? Yeah, I'd say it's probably easier. I could probably tell you certainly nine or ten of the personnel yeah. that's going to play. Um, but Carlo is very reactive as a coach in terms of the setup that will do towards the teams we're playing. Um, obviously, you look at Liverpool and Man City. You know, ninety-five percent of the time, whilst the personnel might change, the the style and the brand that they're going to play with doesn't change too much. Whereas with with us, you know, we can we can change positions within the game in terms of formation. We can change in, um, whether it's a low block or whether we're pushing further forward. So Carlo is, you know, more reactive as a coach. He tries to nullify the opposition and then find ways that we can exploit uh, potential gaps as opposed to taking the game to, yeah. Uh, I don't think we'll see too different a game to what we saw back at the league game in February, if I'm honest. Um, I would expect either Lucas Dinia to be pushed forward um, as a left midfielder on one side or Seamus Coleman on the other. I wouldn't expect both, but I would expect to see one of those playing on Saturday with potentially Yerimina coming 
back into the side and Ben Godfrey moving out to left back. Uh, Dean, you played further forward when we played you there in the league to try and well nullify well. your threat down that side, which, to be fair, um, Walker, Silva and Mares, Everton, the, the amount of times you tried to get through there, particularly in the first half, we did a really good job of blocking yeah. that off. And the one time we stopped, we, we failed to, to stop Mares cutting inside. He bends one left-hand <laughs> top corner. Absolutely uh, beautiful goal. So, We'll certainly have a plan to. Um, I th- the plan will be to try and nullify City as opposed to, you know, go toe to toe with you. But Carlo always comes up with a. When we do play a low block, Carlo always does come up with a plan to hurt the opposition. It's just whether we're good enough to execute it, um, which hopefully on Saturday we will be. What's what's going on with James Rodriguez? I mean, I've been led to believe that he's kind of 75% fit and he's not going to feature until after the international break because, you know, obviously we're getting, trying to get him back to 100% fitness again. Is there a chance that he might feature at some point this weekend? And Carlos has not done his um, pre-game press conference yet. So, you know, perhaps maybe by the time this podcast yeah. goes out later on, he might have done to give us a bit of an answer, but uh, pretty much the same as you there, Steve. Uh, Last week, he's got a um, he's got a calf strain, and don't it's not anything that's particularly dreadful. But the only way to for him to fully get over it and get back to a hundred percent fitness, or what is a hundred percent fitness for Hamez, um, is just uh, a continued rest. So whether they're thinking he's had a rest and we can perhaps maybe play him on Saturday because he's not going to Colombia because the. Uh, South American games have been cancelled due to COVID and thinks we can get some more rest into him then, or whether he just thinks, let's bite the bullet, it's more important to get him fit and just rest him completely. So the information we've got in a minute is that he won't be involved, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was to be involved in in some way yeah. uh, come half-five tomorrow. Um, Chris, Everton at Goodson used to really get the nerves jangling. Um, I, mm. I used to fear it. Um, we'd often end up and you know, predictable disappointment. Um, but now we've won the last four times there. Do you feel more confident regarding this fixture these days? I do. It's interesting. I looked at the stats on this. So I, I took I took a starting point of when City were taken over by the owners. Hmm. So since we were taken over, we've played at Goodison fourteen times, and th- thirteen of those in the league, and what, so yeah, thirteen in the league and one in the league cup. And of those games, we've won seven, lost six and drawn one. But interestingly, the, and the majority of the wins have came after the 13-14 season. Yes. When we, and in that season, we did, we did the double over Everton. And obviously, that's also that also coincided with when David Moyes left to join United. And I then and, and then so inevitably, that the, that the identity of the team that he embedded in there kind of w- went with him. So... When we did do the double over Everton in that season, I I remember that it was a significant game. It was three two in, in uh, when we played. I think in March leading up to the set. So it was a really it was a real threshold because it was it was about us getting that bit closer to the title in thirteen fourteen. But also it was about that hoodoo that Goodison was just a horrible <laughs> place to to to, to go be, because it was. You know that the team embodied Moise's approach, and there was such a clear identity there when you went there. They were they were such a threat. But now, more recently, in the same way that we've stopped, we've stopped fearing playing at Old Trafford. I I don't feel the same kind of anxiety going to um, 
Goodison anymore. That said, Everton tend to always score against us, but then it's more it's more recently it's never really been de- um, decisive apart from that four nil in, in, oh, uh, yeah. in the in the sixteen seventeen season. So to answer your question, no, I I, I don't feel that same anxiety about going there anymore but I do think that's a lot to do with Everton are now going through a transitional phase Mm. where their identity is being reimagined and you know and 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 with Ancelotti coming there that's had such a significant impact uh, as well so so no and and that's that's really that's why I feel really confident about the game tomorrow. I I used to really dislike Everton back in the day I won't lie because Particularly on the Moyes I'm talking about, because three three reasons. One, Tim Cahill always scored. Always scored and always punched our corner flag. Um, second reason is that most of my mates are Evertonians and they're the biggest piss takers I know. So <laughs> losing to them was, you know, was horrible. Third reason, I've got no problem with Everton beating us. I mean, you know, better team wins, or, you know, fair play to them. But they would always lose to like Aston Villa a week earlier and play awful. I and mean, then suddenly they were like will beaters against us. They always raised their game against us. Um, but now, yeah, I'm, I'm like yourself. I feel a bit more confident going to Goodson this weekend. But it's still Everton. It's still Goodson Park. They've still got Carlo Ancelotti as manager. They've still got Calvert-Loon up front. It's This is a tricky one. Andy, do you feel the same way? Do you think this is going to be tricky for City? Are you feeling optimistic or pessimistic? I, it's definitely more hope than expectation. Um I feel more confident about my 40 to 1 in the Gold Cup today than I do about winning tomorrow. Um, Who is it? Which horse is it? Uh, lost in translation. Right, okay. Um, yeah, uh, I could tell you the reasons why, but I won't, I, I won't bore you with no, that. I haven't studied the story. I'm doing so late, so I'll bear that in mind, though, yeah. Well, he, he's, when he's run on either good ground or good to soft, or he's run three mile. Or further, he's never finished out the placings in his entire career. He's had right. a he's had a bad year form wise, but if he get his his yard had a tough start to the year and they're banging form, so if he recaptures that, he's going to come roaring up like Cheltenham Mill and buy me a couple of pints when I'm allowed to go nice. back to the pub. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, yeah, Steve, back to your question. Um, I don't I don't think it's going to be uh, an easy game for City. It's certainly not going to be an easy game for us. But what you alluded to there, where the thing that annoyed you as a City fan would be watching us get beat 3-0 by Villa and then turning up and yeah. beating you 2-0. That's an that's that's been an Everton fan. Like we 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 get beat 2-0 by Fulham, they absolutely batter us. We then play you guys. I actually thought we played quite well in getting beat 3-1. I just thought Man yeah. City were excellent that day. And then you go into a derby, which you've not won for 22 years, and we comfortably beat Liverpool 2-0. So you're thinking, oh, great. But Everton this season, they go good. And then just when you think they're going to go very good, they go bad. And then just when you think they're going to go very bad, they go good again. It's <laughs> it's um, very up and down. But it's, you know, you do have a lot more comfort when you've got Carlo Ancelotti as your manager. Yeah. I think, um, as Chris was saying there, it is a rebuilding job that we're doing at the moment. And because of money that we've not spent well in the past... Because of financial fair play, we can't just keep throwing money at it. So the last couple of years, if you will, we kind of had to trade our way through. So, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti's been there 18 months. He's only really bought in Allen, um, Ben Godfrey, Decore for about £60 million, Hammers on a free, uh, and Robin Olsen on loan. Because we've been having to essentially try and siphon off 
all these players behind the scenes that have been on big money, which Marcel Brands inherited uh, as opposed to bought most of them. And the last couple of years, he's done well. So this summer will be quite big because we've managed to, over the last couple of transfer windows, we've managed to get quite a bit off the wage bill. There's a couple more that are out on loan, but their contracts end at the end of the season, like Balassi and Walcott. So they're on 250 grand a week between and all the best part of. So yeah, so it's a big summer for Everton for Carlo to be able to to get his players in because essentially he's still doing it with the squad, 85% players he inherited as opposed to brought into the team himself. Well, just staying with you there, Andy, it's been 26 years since the Toffees won won a trophy. So you know that yourself and sorry to remind you, but throughout (laughs) that time, they've averaged a top flight league position of ninth. So how much of a failure does that represent? Um, And who is most to blame for that? Um, I think the biggest problem with that is, I mean, for, for Everton... On, if you were to just look at it on paper, that is a failure. Um, there are other things that you can look at, but it's not good enough for a club the size of Everton where you look at where they were in the mid to late 80s. Mm. Um, unfortunately, when the, the ban from Europe hit, hit all the teams and a lot of teams, you know, lost players abroad. You know, we lost players to, I mean, it weren't just players like Gary Lineker that went to Barcelona. We lost Gary Stevens and Trevor Stevens. They went up to Glasgow Rangers because they could play European football. And then when we did reinvest the money um, after that period, we didn't invest it particularly well. Um, You know, when Sir Alex Ferguson took over at Man United, Everton had more league titles than Man United, Mm. you know, and that was only... You know, Man United only won their first one, didn't they, in the, the mid-90s. So that's how big Everton Football Club is. That's how much success that they have. Mm. But since then, we when the Premier League came in, which Sir Philip Carr at Everton was such a massive part of doing, we kind of we missed the boom in terms of not expanding the stadium or getting a new stadium because at that time bringing in revenue through hospitality which is still is huge now but with the TV revenue it's not as big a factor but then yes. it was huge so we missed out again we then did invest money we didn't spend it well um, and then after Peter Johnson decided to down tools and Kenwright took over financially it was we were just treading water so from that point forwards you know, what David Moyes did in terms of his ability to spend money, you know, Everton, p- perhaps in terms of not the club, um, the club was underachieving by what Everton should be achieving, but by what they were doing at that time, they were probably comfortably overachieving in terms of, you know, there was times in the early 2000s where we'd go, go for a player and we'd get financially outmuscled by teams like Middlesbrough, Yeah, you know, so... And then now we, we've come around to the situation where we we do have the investment, every, the, the two things that are a bit of a drawback as opposed to getting that money now as opposed to a decade earlier is financial fair play for one and two, everyone's got money now. You know, even when Bournemouth were in the Premier League, who's, you know, get 11,000, they're spending £27 million on Jefferson Lerma. Mm. So it's all well and good as going out and spending the money you know, every team in the Premier League has the ability to spend money. So it's going to be a slower process for us, but I do believe that we do have the right people in place. Mishiri has made some mistakes, but always with the right intentions, which 
is tomatoes, yeah, 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 which is important. Marcel Brands is set to sign a new contract to expend his day. He's very well respected for what he does in the game, and of course, Carlo Ancelotti. He's not just one of the best current managers. He's one of the greatest managers of all time. His CV would stand up to anybody in in history. So, mm. um, so yeah. So I would say that we've underachieved, and we desperately, desperately need a trophy. Um, it's a trophy would mean a million times more to me than getting Champions League football. Champions League football would be great, um, but I, I'd t- take a trophy every day of the week. If, if we weren't playing you this weekend, I, I would be rooting your boys on because, yeah, if, if not City this year, I'd want it to be Everton. Um, well, you could do that for the semis and the final, cheers. <laughs> um, I think it, 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 it is also worth considering... Because I think Andy, you really kind of broke it down well. That sort of posit history of, of of the Premier League. But what's really because you mentioned Middlesbrough there as well. And I remember the period of time when Middlesbrough outmuscled everybody. Mm. But but what good did it do them? I, th- I think I think what's been key for Everton is that you, you you've you know you've you've courted relegation on several occasions, but you've never gone down. And and that, when you, when you look at where you are now, with like you say, with Ancelotti coming in. And 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 all teams are richer now. In a way, you know, it's 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 a real positive that you never got relegated because it could be because it could have been such a challenge to be able to come back. In, Absolutely, in, in, into I mean, the Premier at, League. I mean, I do think Everton are bigger than the likes of um, you know your Sheffield Wednesdays and you're not in them forests, but you know they're they're still really big. Good football clubs, really good fan base, yeah. good histories, and they're just well. If it wasn't for Leeds, championship sides, if it wasn't for Bielsa at Leeds, we'd also be including Leeds in that discussion, wouldn't we? Mm. Yeah, of course. Mm. Well, and, 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 and there is something about getting that first trophy in years when we got the FA Cup in two thousand eleven. Yes. Yeah. It, it was such a significant moment, but but the minute you get it. Well, I certainly thought, right, so we've got the trophy, it's fantastic, we've got a monkey off the bat, but actually, what's next? Yeah. And and that's why for for Everton, you, know, you had that one season where you got in that, that fourth position for, for, for qualification to, to go into the preliminary rounds and, and you didn't make it through. Well, they got screwed if, over, didn't they, to be honest? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I think that, that you know, it's yeah, obviously you, you want a trophy, but Ancelotti's key strength is in Europe. And so targeting a Champions League spot for, for me would be the more appropriate longer term. Obviously, you, you, you want the trophy to consolidate and unify the fans and that just that, that, that relief that, that, that comes with it. But, but it is, I, I think, you know, for any team who are in that top half of the table, focusing, trying to get a European place, particularly Champions League place, is really important in terms of continuity and being able to plan for the next five to ten years moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I certainly don't uh, disagree with you. And I think, you know, if you were to, pro- you know, to say to the club in terms of what they would prefer, I think the more corporate side you go in that discussion, it would be Champions League football because of the, like you say, the money it brings, the ability to be able to forward plan, the sponsorship that you can attract and all those things. Um, and of course, I'd love to tune in to see Everton playing on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night and <laughs> you'd be able to watch us take on the best in the world and, you know, scramble for tickets, trying to get over to the Bernabeu or things like that. But for right now, 
I just want to see see us lift a trophy. You know, nineteen ninety five, the last time we did, I was eleven years old. So, um, and having been quite a few times to to Wembley to see us losing finals and semi finals, um, you know, Everton, I think it would be such a big thing to get that trophy and just like you guys were saying before, just shift that mentality at the club. Like, you know what, we can actually, we can do this as you were saying before, when you won the FA Cup back in 2011, whereas I think qualifying for the Champions League, however, don't get me wrong, it's massively difficult and going to be a real challenge for us to do that over the next couple of years. It, it's more of a, it, it doesn't, change anything you, you, if you finish fourth you finish fourth you know you do get good rewards for that but it's not a trophy no it, yeah. it's more kind of um you know the sentiment is there isn't it in regards to a trophy win you know yeah you, you're not going to basically shed a tear at, at, at coming fourth whereas i should imagine there'll be a few tears shed and a few you know beers drank if you yeah it, up this year yeah if, it, you know if we get a, a nil nil at West Ham United to seal fourth place in the Champions League. I'm not going on a 48 hour bend. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we win the FA Cup, uh, you know, against whoever it may be, um, yeah, you're probably not going to see me for three days. So <laughs> that's the best way to sum up the difference, I think. It's so. It's also symbolic. When you win a trophy, not only is it you know cause for celebration amongst the community of your fans, but it's also it's like an assertion that you've got a right to be at the table again because you've got silverware again. And yeah, and and that's that's certainly how how it made us feel that something is achievable again. So it stops being that that whole that holy grail. I mean, yeah, I would really. You know, it, it, it's it would be great forever to win a trophy, not this season, but but it would, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it, it's something that would certainly, yeah, it, as a symbol and, and and as a measure of what Ancelotti has brought to the club, it would be that first step, that yeah. first acknowledgement of progress. I'd, I'd absolutely love it. As I said earlier, most of my mates are Evertonians, and uh, a lot of them are match goers, you know, home and away. And I've seen what they've gone through the last few years, you know. And I've, you know, you said there, Andy, about the trips to Wembley. Um, you know, I, I've received a tax from them, you know, from rugby kind of services on the way back from Wembley after losing again. Yeah, you know, for them, I, I really want Everton to win a trophy at some point soon. Um, I put a question in the agenda because it just kind of intrigued me. You each allowed to sign a player from the other side this weekend on a free transfer. Um, Chris, which Everton player would you snap up on a free? Straight away, Lucas Digne, just without, just straight in, quality left back. Yeah. Um, I look, I looked at his stats last night. So I think, and he's, I think he's had injuries, hasn't he, this season, Andy? Yeah, he, he had. Yeah. Um, he came back really quickly. Actually, he had, he had a, um, he did, popped his ankle out mm-hmm. and was expected to be out until end of January, middle of February and he, he was back the second week in Jan. He got through his rehab really, really well. But yeah, no, he had a pit he was he's out for about six weeks, I think. Yeah, and, and he's also I think his stats say he's only had twenty appearances, but he still had six assists uh, in those appearances. He's twenty seven years old, he's at his peak, um and he's such an intelligent player that he could adapt to Pep's methodology really well. And also, you know, we have this kind of ongoing problem with a left with you know with with, with a proper left back mm. uh, in our squad so yeah he, he I, I didn't even have to think about it he, he's the player that has impressed me so much at Everton so and if we agree now that you can have Benjamin Mendy in return could you <laughs> 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 the next um, yeah we're done move forward yes what, what City player would you like 
Well, I, yeah, I was looking through this and looking at the two teams, and I couldn't see a Man City player that would improve the Everton side, so I was struggling. Um, fair, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I think. I mean, I, I would go. I was torn between two in the end. I'd go for Kevin De Bruyne because he's Kevin De Bruyne, and I just love watching him play football. Mm. Um, the the vision he has and the ability to execute passes, whether it's you know, it's it's, it's very rare to have a player who can hit a fifty yard pass on a sixpence, but can also play that ten yard pass between two defenders at the right pace and split teams open to be able to have the whole thing. He, he's not. He's got absolutely everything. Um, I'm a massive fan of Jao Cancelo. I was absolutely bigging him up and then he had an absolute stinker in the, in the derby. But um, I really, I, I think he's been superb for you this year. Uh, and of course, then you've got Phil Foden, who's just, I'm really impressed with, with the attitude of him. You know, he's coming to the team clearly talented for, you know, been dipped in and out for a few years. Whenever he's been on the pitch, he's, He's never rested on his talent. He's always worked hard. But because he wasn't tactically where Pep wanted to, he's kind of been a little bit harsh on him. He has never gone under. He's just got his head down, learned, and become the, you know more tactically aware of what Pep wanted. And I think to have that mentality to go with the talent is very, very rare. But yeah, sorry, to answer your question, Steve, I'd go Kevin De Bruyne. I just think he's an absolutely fantastic player. Absolutely. Well, good pick. <laughs> um just to round off today, something we've spoken about on the pod quite a few times, understandably so, is Liverpool's decline uh, in recent kind of months. Um, so recently they were a direct rival of ours this season, far less so. Uh, Andy, how's it been received from an Evertonian perspective? <laughs> uh, it's been nice. <laughs> um, no, look, they, they've been giving it big for the last two and a half, three years. and. Absolutely, you know, you don't have a leg to stand on because they have played some great football uh, and, you know, they've achieved success and they've done it their way. Absolutely fantastic to them and I've been happy to praise them. But the wheels have well and truly fallen off, so I'm going to give it them back as well. Absolutely. Um, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, like, I'm loving the absolute fallout from him not being in the England squads. But, he, you know, like, he's... He, he, did so many twists and turns against Raheem Sterling a few weeks ago. I bet he's still dizzy. Like he, he he's not a good defender. He can hit a fifty-yard pass when no one's near him. He's, I'm not saying he's not talented, but he's been. He was, you know, someone like him, for example. He's very lucky. He came into a Liverpool side, and the way that they set up was perfect for, you know, the, the abilities that he does have as a footballer. But now people are realizing that you can get at him. He's being exposed for what he is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as are other players, um, I mean, the Van Dyke injury might be a blessing in disguise now they've unearthed uh, Nat Phillips, who's the greatest footballer since Lothar Mateus. Um, if you were to believe some of the articles you've been reading this week, so, you know. Um, never ends, yeah, does it? Never ends. Um, I, never I have ends. enjoyed it because when, when, if I watch Everton play and we win... I'm absolutely buzzing, and if we lose, I'm absolutely devastated. Whereas if I watch Liverpool and they lose, I'm pretty buzzing, and if they win, I'm not bothered. So you know, it, it's uh, it has been nice to watch them struggle this year. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't blame you whatsoever. Yeah, that takes us right back to the United days, and um, yeah, enjoy it, mate. 
Chris, uh, one final question. Uh, victory at the weekend uh, would mean that the league is almost sewn up. City are in a League Cup final, FA Cup semi, um, quarter final of the Champions League. Possibility of a quadruple, is that feasible? Is it too early to start talking about the possibility of that? And indeed, when people bring it up, as I just have now, does it annoy you? Um, Steve, you never annoy me. Um, <laughs> so the talk of the quadruple, pretty much. I mean, forgive me for some paranoia, but it, but and, and I know I'm kind of always about an agenda. But the talk, the talk of a quadruple always feels like a media strategy that they're going to they're, they're going to use as a lens to view our achievements through and effectively undermine our achievements. Now, even if we didn't win anything this season. For me, Pep's greatest achievement this season is how he's addressed our defensive fragility and turned it around almost overnight. So, so you know, over the space of 12 weeks, we went from being 10th in the league to 11 points clear. So the talk of the quadruple just, in fact, effectively, it's just another stick for the media to, 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 to beat us with. But I think that I think smart city fans and football fans generally, we don't think about quadruples because we know about the unpredictability um, of, of, of of football. But the, there's an interesting overview here, Steve. So in seventeen eighteen and eighteen nineteen, we were up for the quadruple again there, right? In both of those seasons. But exceptional circumstances in key games prevented it. So if you look at 17-18, we went out the FA Cup with a shock 1-0 loss to Wigan, right? And then we went out the Champions League after being mauled by Liverpool in the home leg um, and then mugged by poor officiating um, (laughs) in in, 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 in a leg at the Etihad. So they were exceptional circumstances in really unpredictable games. And then you look at 18-19, we got the Champions League playing against tight, being defensive when we play at Spurs at White Hart Lane. And then being defensively naive in that home leg and also with that VAR heartbreak um, at the end. So on both occasions, we failed at the quadruple because of exceptional circumstances in unpredictable games. Now, this season, we're a lot more assured and we're a lot more consistent and we're seeing far fewer games where we ignore the script or something odd happens Um, all right, when we lost to United in the derby a couple of weeks ago, that generally was because the entire team played badly. Um, but I, th- I think this season represents the best opportunity that we could win the quadruple in that if we bring our best form to every game and Pep doesn't go overly pragmatic or cautious, but we also forget about the quadruple as an event and we just take each competition as it comes, then... We do have the best chance of winning it, but I don't think about it because then I think, well, there's Bayern Munich, to, you know, who's <laughs> yeah. in our way. And of course, there's Everton who's in our way as well, you know. So, so it's like, it's a possibility. But if we, but it feels like this season offers the best chance that we could do it. However, if we didn't win the quadruple, it's fine. My main focus this season was get the title back. Absolutely. And, it, and, it, yeah. and, and anything else is a bonus. Well, we get the title back, then I would say job done. But also, I look at what Pepper's done, and I think, wow, you've just created the framework for the next three seasons. Well, that's a really good way to end it. Um, thank you very much for joining me today, Chris. No, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Really nice to meet you too, Andy. Yeah, yeah thank nice you very to meet you much. too, Chris. Uh, cheers, Andy. Uh, great debut, mate. Thank you, Steve. Been a pleasure, lads. And uh, I look forward to you guys being upset about half seven tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
you won the old kids over and then you just lost them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. And thanks, uh, listeners, as always, for listening in. Uh, that's a wrap for today. Um, as always, please check out the other great content that's across the 9320 platform. And here's to a cracking game tomorrow with a few goals thrown in. In the meantime, though, remember that you, yes, you listening to this right now, you're ace. So take care of yourself, stay safe, and forever up the blues. <laughs>